right, let's go ahead and get into our message today. And I'm going to start very differently today. All right, this is going to be really unique. I've never started a message like this, so just go with me. Even if you think it's stupid, just appease me, all right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you, as you're sitting there, to just kind of take a deep breath. Just, just kind of sit there, kind of loosen up your arms and, and get comfortable if you need to crack your neck, whatever. Just, just kind of sit there and start like feeling the breath come back into your lungs. Kind of feel your heart rate begin to slow down. Maybe you were in a rush to get here or maybe you're just feeling anxious for some reason right now. Just kind of feel yourself come back to a normal level. And then here's what I want you to do for just a few minutes here. I want you to close your eyes, all right? Just close your eyes and just begin to rest. Don't open them until I tell you. It'll just be a few minutes. Just literally begin to rest. Heart rate slows down. You can feel yourself just getting more and more comfortable. And just like focus, all right? All the distractions, whatever else is gonna go on today, it is what it is. Just completely focused in the moment. You're present. You're listening I'm going to read an extended quote from a book that I recently read. And it's not even going to be on the screen, so you don't need to look. Just keep your eyes closed. I'm going to read this slowly, and I want you to just consider these things. All right? Here we go. Do you ever catch yourself with the sneaking suspicion that you'll wake up on your deathbed with this nagging sense that somehow in all the hurry and all the busyness and frenetic activity you missed the most important things in life? You started a business, but you ended a marriage. You got your kids to college, but never taught them the way of Jesus. You watched all 10 seasons on Hulu, but never learned to pray. Made a whole lot of money, but never changed anyone's life. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. See, today you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office or another soccer game on a Sunday or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life full of speed. Sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, which is an unhurried life where space for God and love for people are truly the top priorities. Here's the rub. Most of us are simply too busy to truly follow Jesus today. And my question is simple. What is all of this distraction, addiction, and pace of life doing to our souls. You can open your eyes. This is a collection of quotes from a book that I read a few years ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This is written by a man named John Mark Comer. The book is right there so you can see what it looks like. And when I read this book for the first time, I'm just telling you, it had a profound impact on my life. It, it helped me see through a different lens. It changed the way that I lived my life. And, and because of that, I would urge you, if I could mandate you, to read this book. I promise you there is something in there that will change your life. 
And that's a big promise, but I truly believe that. So much goodness is within this. We actually did a full series on this book uh, nearly two years ago. Can you believe it's been two years since we talked about this? But here we are, we're rushing through life. Two years ago, we, we went through a full series. You can go back and listen to that if you want to. But um, what we did is just we began to dig into how this is relevant to our lives today. What does this mean for us and how can we respond to it? So we are going to do a mini series. So today and then next weekend, we're going to just kind of hit the highlights, do a refresher in hopes that we can bring this back to the forefront of our hearts and our minds. I've read this book probably five times. And um, just the most recent time that I read it, it was such a helpful refresher. I I forgot so many things that I needed. So I think this will be helpful for us. Whether you've heard of this or not, I think it will be beneficial. We, uh, over the last few months as a church, we've been talking a lot about abiding in Jesus, what that means, what that looks like. Uh, We've also been talking about why stewardship, like how we steward the things that God has given us in a wise way. And honestly, we can't do those things effectively if we don't understand this concept of hurry, what it's doing to us, and how to rightly respond to it. And so we feel like it's an appropriate season as we get into the busyness of the holiday season. And I think just so many of us feel worn down right now. I think it's appropriate to jump back into this. And so before we dig into the content, we start kind of tearing this apart. I'd like us to just uh, say a word of prayer that over the next two weeks, God would do what he wants to do in us, that the Holy Spirit would move and speak, that we would have open minds and soft hearts to receive it. And so if you would join me. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for such an amazing opportunity to come together with people who love you and just worship you and magnify you in our lives. I pray that you would, at this moment, just slow us down and just bring us to a place of focus, bring us to a place of mindfulness so that we can consider these things and allow them to take root in our hearts in whatever way you desire. I don't know where each one of us is at. I don't know what pace of life we're living at, but I know that this is relevant for all of us in some way. And so in in your unique personal way, just prepare us, equip us for what you're gonna say and do in us. And may we respond to it in a way that truly grows and, and bears fruit in our life. And in all of it, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. In the late 1990s, there was a a man by the name of John Ortberg. John was a spiritual leader. He was a pastor, a teacher in the Midwest area. And uh, as a younger man, he was quite successful within his ministry. He was doing great work. He was impacting people's lives. His ministry, um, from so many outside measures, was doing well. But internally, he felt like there was a disconnect. He wasn't really living life the way that he needed to. And even in his ministry, he just felt like he could do so much more. And so one day he was having lunch with his mentor, a man by the name of Dallas Willard. Write down that name, go read his books, awesome stuff. He was meeting with Dallas for lunch. And uh, as they were kind of wrapping up the meal, he was like, okay, I'm gonna just lay everything on the line. I'm just gonna be really, really vulnerable in this moment. And so he asked this question. What do I need to do to be the man that I want to be and that God desires for me to be? What do I need to do? Dallas, sitting on the other side of the conversation, took a deep breath 
and kind of after a sizable pause, John's like leaning in intently to hear what he's going to say. Dallas said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, as any good mentee would do, John takes out his notebook and he writes down these wise words and he underlines and he highlights this. It's good stuff. He looks back up at Dallas and he says, okay, what else? After another deep breath and another sizable pause, Dallas said this, nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And so you must ruthlessly eliminate it from your life. When I read this a few years ago, something resonated so deeply within me when I read that. Like uh, alarm bells were going off, red flags everywhere. Like this is, this is so real. And one of the reasons it resonated with me so much is because I'm often trying to think about the ways that church and culture are unnecessarily overlapped. And what I mean when I say that is, in what ways have we transformed the church because of culture rather than transforming culture as the church? And one of the, the, the first and the most daunting topics that I seem to stumble my way towards every time is this idea, this concept of time. How we view time, how we deal with time, what we do with our time. In fact, there was a pastor who was recently inspired to do things differently within his community. And so he went to his psychologist and he began to excitedly tell him about how their church was heading towards this true model of discipleship. Like they were going to truly prioritize living everyday life with Christ and entering into true relationship and living within true community, one with another. So excited. After a few minutes of this, the psychologist who had been in the business over 40 years by this point, he stopped him and he said this, I love that. That's a, a beautiful vision that you have, but the number one problem you will face is time. Listen to what he said. People are simply too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives today. People are simply too busy. And it's true. In fact, if you listen closely enough these days, this is the default response you will get from every single person you talk to. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well, I'm just busy. Things are going really well, I'm just busy. This week was busy, this month was busy, this year has been so crazy busy. Over and over again, this is what we hear. We hear it from young people, we hear it from older people, male, female, white collar, blue collar, it doesn't matter. Everyone is always busy. And while in today's climate, we wear these words like a weird badge of honor, the truth of the matter is, I don't think we realize the undercurrent of issues that this is causing within us, especially in our spiritual lives. A wise man by the name of Ronald Rawlheiser recently wrote this, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not to just think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. That's something to chew on a little bit, right? Something to consider. I, I like the word distracted here quite a bit because the truth is most of the time that you and I say we're busy, what we really mean is we're distracted. That's what we really mean, because being busy 
means being productive. It, it, it means impact and purpose and mission and fulfillment. It's this really deep, important word. And the truth is, most of the time, that's not what our busy really looks like. If we're being honest, what we really are is fatally distracted. See, everyone today talks about how we become so much more efficient as a society, right? But if we're simply able to do more and more worthless things with our time and our attention, is that efficient or is that simply foolish? Because see, the ultimate measure of success is not efficiency, it's impact. That's what success is about. And see, most of us today live very efficiently. We're able to get more done in a shorter time than ever before in history. And yet at the same time, go look at any poll, read any psychologist. Most of us don't feel like we're making an impact at all. We're just spinning our wheels. Just like pulling the levers of life to to keep moving ahead. We're hurried, we're pressured, we're efficient, but we're not truly impactful. John Mark wrote this in his book. Hurry is simply incompatible with the way of Jesus. Now, is that true? Does that ring true as we read through the Gospels and what Jesus says and and what he does? Let's consider that for a moment and see what the results are. And let's begin with this. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the great commandment. Okay, so let me ask you this. Are hurry and love compatible? Do those two things work really well together? Is love a quick, speedy process, or is it actually kind of slow and methodical and time-consuming? In fact, just take inventory of the times you are least loving in your life, and I'll bet you it almost always centers around hurry. You're running late for something. You're in the middle of completing a task. You're anxious about what lies ahead. And in these moments, we exude anger and tension and agitation, all of which are the antithesis of love. In fact, in the Apostle Paul's definition in his letter to the Corinthians, pay close attention to how he begins because the very first thing he says is, love is patient. It's patient. It takes time. It takes thought. It takes intention. By the way, the same could be said for all of the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians 5. It's true of all of them. In fact, the next time you find yourself in a big rush and you're hurrying through things, just stop for a moment and and, and reflect and think about what you're producing and putting on display in that moment. Because I'd venture to say it's never love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's not those things. And so if something so normal today is producing such bad fruit in us, Why aren't we paying more attention? Why aren't we more aware of this than we should be? Here's the other thing about Jesus. Jesus was a busy man. Now, when I say busy, I mean he was focused on things that actually matter, things that actually have an impact. By that measure, he was very busy. When you read through the Gospels, it seems like he's often on the move to help somebody or to restore somebody or to teach somebody. He seemed to always be doing these things. Here's the thing, though. He never seemed to be in a hurry. He was busy, but, but he wasn't in a big rush throughout his life. Hey, Jesus, your buddy Lazarus is about to die. Like he is literally about to kick the bucket. Okay, we're going to stay here a few more days, and then we'll go see him later. No, Jesus, I don't think, did you hear me? He's about to die, right? No, I heard you. We'll, we'll see him in a few days. You could not hurry this man. 
hey, Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter, she is on her deathbed right now, like at this moment. That's okay. This woman needs my help right now. We'll get to your daughter in a moment. Now, can you imagine being the father? Like, no, 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 Jesus, she's dying right now. I heard you. We'll be there in a little bit. He could not be rushed. In fact, in the book of Mark alone, which is the smallest gospel account, it's estimated Jesus was interrupted 35 different times from what he was doing. Be it healing somebody, teaching somebody, just walking along the road, constantly interrupted. Not a single time does it record him getting agitated or being annoyed or getting bitey in how he responds to somebody. No, every single time he's present, he's in the moment, He's there to be with them. He's there to meet their needs. It's amazing. This is how Jesus lived. In fact, you never see Jesus like halfway paying attention to someone as he does something else. You never see him like skipping over a need because he's got something more urgent to do that day. You don't see it. He was present. He was mindful. He was intentional. He was unhurried. Now, if Jesus was this way, if this was truly his lifestyle and we call ourselves followers of Jesus, How have we gotten so off track from living our lives this way? You ever think about that sometimes? Like, what were the shaping forces that got us to where we're at today? How did this happen? So here's what we're going to do for a few minutes. We're going to take a few steps back. We're going to do a bit of a history lesson to see what are some of the things that have gotten us to where we are today so that we're living our lives in this way. Now, there are plenty of places we could go, plenty of places to look. We could look at the invention of the sundial, believe it or not, the invention of the clock, that's a big one, Um, the shift in how we approach our work and our career, that's another big one. We're going to skip past those things, though. We're going to go right to 1879. This is when we see real movement within this hurry epidemic, because this is when a man named Thomas Edison and his invention of the light bulb became prominent. Now, what in the world does Thomas Edison and the light bulb have to do with hurry? Well, here we go. Before Edison and his invention of the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night. Let me say that again. The average person slept 11 whole hours every night. I don't even know how to relate to that at all. Like, I can't tell you the last single night that I got 11 hours of sleep, and I have to think most, if not all, can very much relate to that. In America today, that average is below seven hours a night, which sounds much more like it, right? If you got kids, God bless you, shave some hours off of that. But here's the thing, in a little over a century's time, 100 years, we on average get more than four hours less of sleep each night. Now, do you have any idea the impact that has on our physical health, on our mental health, on our emotional health, on our spiritual health? Like, this is a big deal that we need to be aware of. Now, let's fast forward about 40 years from that time. We get into the beginning of the 20th century. And this is when something called labor-saving devices came into play. Long story short, these are things that we now have all around us, and increasingly so, that save us a ton of time. All right, so thermostats, uh, dishwashers, cars, Grubhub, DoorDash, all that stuff, right? Here's the interesting part. As these devices, as these things became more and more mainstream, we strangely felt like we had less time as opposed to more time. Now, how could that be? How does that stand to reason that we could feel that way? So let's talk about that for a second. I think you'll find this interesting. Did you know that philosophers back in the 1950s and 60s predicted 
that within decades, people would be spending far less time at work and far more leisure time than ever before. That was the prediction. One famous subcommittee was told that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. That was the prediction. Now compare that to a normal schedule today. This is where people thought we were headed. Now, spoiler alert, that did not happen. That was not accurate. And in fact, quite the opposite. Instead of working less hours, we now work more. Since the time of that prediction, we now on average work 160 hours more per year than they did at that time. Check this out. Members of that subcommittee famously said, we assumed humanity would choose time over money. Time with friends, time with family, time with God, and we were wrong. Now, this perspective, this way of life is what ushered us right into the digital age, which is what we are technically a part of today. But we see a huge monumental stop in 2007 with the release of the iPhone. Now, if you want to know the biggest enemies of our time and our attention, we are getting hotter. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone more than 2,600 times a day. 2,600 All in all, this takes the average time on iPhones to over three hours every day. Even more scary in terms of our future, those numbers double in relation to people 35 years and younger. That means those of younger generations literally spend two full waking days on their phones per week. Are you catching that? Approximately 42 hours per week spent on your phone. It's another full-time job that you're just on your phone. Tristan Harris, a modern tech leader, recently explained it this way. Slot machines make more money per year than the film industry and baseball combined by simply calling for one quarter at a time. It feels inconsequential in the moment, but quite literally steals your money. In the same way, your smartphone now captures more of your attention than just about anything else in your life. Let that sink in. Yet it does it one text, one email, one Instagram like at a time. It feels inconsequential in the moment, but quite literally steals your time. The first president of Facebook recently said this, the thought process that went into building these applications was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as we possibly can? That's the strategy. And that's just your iPhone. Check this out. The average American family today spends 42 hours a week on the internet, 35 hours a week watching television, and 12 hours a week on kids' athletics. The average male today, by 21 years old, has spent over 10,000 hours playing video games. By 21 years old. Ladies, on average, you spend over 400 hours a year shopping, either online or in stores. I had to even it out somehow. Now, here's the thing. Let those numbers like wash over you for a second. Think about all of that time. Listen, all of that attention on those things. And then remember, our default response to how we're doing these days is just so busy. No, so crazy busy these days. The nerve, right? (laughs) After a while, you start wondering to yourself, what type of impact is this having on us? What what is this doing to who we are on the inside? And so let's talk about that. 
In the year 2000, not that long ago, a study was done that showed the average human attention span was 12 seconds long. Already amazingly low, right? I'm so curious. I wish we had the data for like centuries ago what it would be. It would have to shock us. But listen, just since the year 2000, a little over 20 years, our attention spans have gone from 12 down to eight seconds long. The average attention span these days, eight seconds long. You ever heard the phrase, you have the attention span of a goldfish? No longer true. We have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Are you kidding me? Is anybody seeing there's a problem here? There's an issue that, that we need to be aware of? It's no wonder why psychologists today can now literally diagnose you with hurry sickness. This is a thing now, hurry sickness. It's described this way, a behavior pattern characterized by chronic rushing and anxiousness and an overwhelming persistent sense of urgency. Now, I don't know about you, but that describes me way more than I'd like to admit. That is so often my inner disposition in life. And if you're interested to hear more, let's do this. Let's go through the symptoms of hurry sickness. If you have hurry sickness, this is what you will experience in your life. So do some self-reflection, be honest, okay? Here we go. If you have hurry sickness, number one, you will experience irritability. Getting mad, frustrated, or simply annoyed at little normal things. People end up having to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity and anger. Irritability. Here's the second one. Hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events in your life. Hypersensitivity. Here's number three, restlessness. You try to slow down, but you can't. You try to pray, get distracted. Try to sleep, can't stop thinking. Try to watch TV, but can't even do that without checking your phone or doing a chore simultaneously. Restlessness. Here's the next one. Emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain. Empathy sounds nice. You just don't have time for it. Here's the next one. Out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and from your calling. You're busier than ever, yet still don't feel like you have time for the truly important things in life. The next one, escapist behaviors. We're too tired to do what's actually life-giving to us, so we result to our distraction of choice. Overeating, over-drinking, binging Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, or whatever your preferred cultural narcotic of the day might be. Here's the next one, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, from others, even from your own soul. You're tired You're alone. Even when you're in the room with God and others, you're really a million miles somewhere else. Here's the last one. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. You're so over busy and overtired that the things that truly enlighten your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. These are the symptoms of living a life of hurry. Meanwhile, catch this. According to leaders in psychology today, here are the primary epidemics in our culture. Anxiety, chronic exhaustion, distraction, loneliness, digital addiction, and lack of purpose. Anybody seeing some correlations here? Across the board, it's a match. 
This is a problem that we need to deal with. So I've thrown all of that on the table. Here's what I want to leave you with. What would it look like to recognize that this is truly one of the biggest problems you face in your spiritual journey? What would it look like to realize this is one of the biggest problems you face as a follower of Jesus in today's world? And what if you actually said, I don't care what culture says. I don't care what system we live in. This is a problem for me. It's a problem. My priorities are out of whack. I know that. My spiritual life always takes a back seat. I'm anxious, I'm irritable, I'm inattentive, especially to the things that really matter like God and other people. Like, What would it look like to just call this out as truth in your life and in your experiences? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word yoke, which we don't use very often in our common vernacular, simply means a way of life. So here's what he's saying. My way of life, Jesus's way of life is easy. It's, it's light. It's not burdensome. See, the way of Jesus isn't about hurry and hustle and efficiency. That's not what it's about. It's about being present, being in the moment so much so that what oozes out of your heart and out of your character is love, joy, and peace. That's what it's about. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we won't be busy in the true sense of that word. What it means is that we won't be hurried. Listen to me. We won't be rushed through this gift of life that he has given us. We won't do it. Instead, we will be mindful. We will be intentional every moment of the day, and we will be focused on the things that really matter in this life. So what do I need to do to be the man, to be the woman that I need to be, that God desires for me to be? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life.